Hello, Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, and my co-host, Ed Wilkinson, coming to you live from the very modern and luxurious KVOI broadcast complex in Tucson, welcoming you to an informative and interesting show on training our cyber future warriors edition of Inside Track on this rainy Saturday afternoon. Producer Tom also joins us running the board and taking your calls. If you do have a question or comment, during today's show for our guest, you can reach us at the Tucson Iron and Metal Retail Live Line at 790-2040. Ab? Hey, Bruce and I want to remind you to please support our great sponsors. We've got Tucson Iron and Metal Retail. Call Jamie or Craig at 209-1576. Jamie tells me they have great prices on all sorts of surplus tubing for your next project at home or at work. Or in my case, if you just want to learn how to weld. And Corazon cabinets. And by the way, I didn't blow myself up. I was very impressed. <laughs> well, <laughs> Corazon cabinets. I didn't notice any burn marks on you anyway. Well, that's because I have my shirt on. <laughs> Corazon cabinets. Joy and Alley at Corazon cabinets are ready to design and build your kitchen or bath of your dreams at a price you will love. Call them Monday at 488-2266 to set up an appointment. And also Eric Rudin and the pros from Essential Pest Control. Call his great team at 886 886- 30229 oops that's 8863029 to help get rid of your termites and pests of all sorts vermin and weeds they are super to work with in your home or office also supporting inside track is my co-host the aforementioned Eb Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management call for Eb at 1911 let Eb help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. My family has trusted Eb for many years to help build wealth. You should too. Before we get to our special guest, Dr. Gary Packard from the University of Arizona, I'd like to share a few thoughts with you. Uh, first, many thanks to all of our listeners who have supported wreaths across America this holiday season. Remember, there will be the uh, Christmas wreath laying ceremonies later this month on the 17th at the Arizona State Military Cemetery in Marana. Many thanks to our friend Onita Davis and uh, the Veterans of Foreign War um, uh, Lodge that she works with up in Oro Valley, uh, thanking her for her hard work. Also, Jesse Lugo from Lugo Charity reminded me last night at Chris uh, DeSimone's big Christmas shindig uh, that the big Bike in a Box event is scheduled for next Saturday at the Elks Lodge, located at 1800 North Oracle Road, starting at 10 a.m. Jesse has raised about $30,000 to help hundreds of kids get a new bike and some independence as well as exercise. I also want to congratulate our friend BBG, Ben Bueller Garcia. His great show, American Warrior, is now nationally syndicated. Credit to Ben, who succeeded Dave Sitton to continue the broadcast and become the excellent show all of us in Southern Arizona know about and listen to. Ben is one of our community's great treasures, and he is one of us. Uh, it is super important for his show's message to be heard by as many people as possible to honor the men and women who keep us safe and defend freedom. Now listeners from across the country can get an opportunity to do that also. Also, congratulations to KVOI, KVOI neighbor Christy Simone from Wake Up Tucson on another successful Christmas holiday event last night at Bonita. Many bonita kind of things there. It was great to meet uh, so many loyal KVOI listeners like Mark, I know you're listening, Kathy, Betsy, and of course, Tia Gloria. This station is blessed to have so many great locally produced shows featuring local hosts here at the station. I give Bustos Media and our friend Charles Heller much credit. Don't call Charles, okay? I mean, at least not on that today. Uh, you can thank me later. Uh, for the plug. Um, uh, the, Charles has worked very, very hard to present local voices on this station, and Eb and I thank you and our listeners for your loyal support to our show and all the others on KVOI. also want to give credit to Elon Musk. His purchase of Twitter has been attacked by the left in the media and by their leftist allies in politics and in the business world. I understand why he's being attacked. It's because he's a threat to all of them. And Musk 
actually was the one with the testicular determination to invest $44 billion in a company, in this company, throw out the Deadwood and anti-freedom leftists who believed in protected speech for the left only and allow the world to express their thoughts responsibly. Yesterday, Musk outed the Twitter twits who colluded to suppress the pre-2020 election coverage of Hunter Biden's laptop, which could have changed the outcome of the presidential election in 2020. There's more to come. We should all watch this continuing story closely, not just for the political implications, but the effect on free speech in America and around the world. Earlier this week, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary named gaslighting as the 2022 new word of the year. Makes sense to me. Look at Twitter. Previous to Musk, Facebook, Google, and nearly all the media online, print and cable, they have attempted to gaslight the population in mass. The truth will eventually come out, but as long as the fourth estate continues to uh, care more about supporting uh, a political movement than reporting facts, our constitutional republic will suffer and wither on the fine. We all hope that doesn't occur. Finally, we lost a good friend and a good soul this week. Jerry Lyons had a very long and successful public accounting practice here in Southern Arizona. He was a popular professor at the U of A Business School for years. I never got up quite to his level of accounting when I was in school there. Uh, and he helped launch countless careers. Jerry was old school. He looked you in the eye when he spoke with you, was a great conversationalist, had a great smile, and was well thought of by many all through the community. Jerry will be missed. Mr. Producer, let's go ahead to our first break. You're listening to Inside Track on KVOI, Trusted Local News and Talk. When we return, we'll start our chat with our special guest, Dr. Gary Packard, Dean of the College of Applied Science and Technology from the University of Arizona, the University of Arizona. We'll be right back. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap, and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? <sighs> no, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management reminding you that every good and excellent thing stands moment by moment on the razor's edge of danger and must be fought for, including getting out of debt, building your wealth, and protecting your God-given right. We manage money for gun owners. Let us help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Our special guest this afternoon. And by the way, is it hot in the studio? It is very hot in the you studio. You know, three weeks ago, this place was like a meat locker, okay? Now they fix the heat so well, it's like a steam bath or a sauna anyway. And the thermometer says 72 outside me, in the hallway. Give me a break. Anyway, our special guest this afternoon is someone you may have never heard of. Uh, who but works you're never going to forget. In a university <laughs> department you may not know existed. 
but in a field of study which is absolutely critical to our national security, to business, and to each of us in our daily lives. Dr. Gary Packard is the Dean of the College of Applied Science and Technology at the University of Arizona. Gary has a varied and very impressive background, an Air Force Academy graduate. He eventually rose in the ranks to your Brigadier General. Brigadier General. Wow. And as we have just saluted, uh, <laughs> has over 3,900 flight hours in service as a pilot. He also was a trainer and commander of flight training in a uh, 38-year Air Force career. Gary also served on the faculty at the Air Force Academy for many years before joining the University of Arizona. He also has a master's degree in counseling, an advanced degree in aeronautical science, and in 1999, he received his PhD in developmental psychology uh-oh, uh-oh, geez, I just I just screwed myself up here. And the dissertation was Longitudinal Study of the Social Network Influences on Leadership and Professional Military Development of Cadets at the U.S. Air Force Academy. That's what right. a title. It is. Dissertation How does on one page? Well, you know, it's a big paper. You have to have big titles okay. to go with it. So, yeah, you just... So, so basically that used yeah. up one of your pages that you needed to produce. That's exactly right. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so when you when you went to school um, uh, at, at the Air Force Academy as a cadet, did you ever think that you would be doing what you're doing today? Ab ab absolutely not. And, and first, let me just say, thanks for letting me join you today. I look forward to the conversation very much. And uh, no, I left I left my small hometown in Michigan for one single purpose. I, uh, I fell in love with airplanes when I was in middle school and was determined I was going to be a pilot. Uh, I came from a family with a uh, auto mechanic for a dad and a school teacher for a mom. And uh, I didn't know how to do that, so I ended up going to the Air Force Academy and uh, was very privileged to fly airplanes for this country for, for quite a while. Hmm. So um, you talk about the program uh, that you had at the, at the University of Arizona as working at the convergence of social, of social science and technology to deliver on the fourth industrial revolution applied education and research. Kind of unscrabble that word salad for us. <laughs> Sounds like that dissertation title to some degree, doesn't it? It's kind of long, kind of lengthy. What the hell is the Fourth Industrial Revolution? That, yeah, so that's the thing I'm most interested yeah, in. Yeah, let's talk about. about the Fourth Industrial Revolution. We're all very familiar with things like the First, Second Industrial Revolution, things like the cotton gym, the steam engine. We get assembly lines, you get manufacturing actually moving, a migration from agrarian to more urban and, and production based. Um, financing. Um, and then you have the third industrial revolution, which is generally considered the advent of the digital world and the computer. So out of the analog and the tubes and everything into the digital society. The fourth industrial revolution is this convergence idea that you, you talked about when you first started. It is that addition of the internet of things or a connection of things into that that cyberspace or that virtual world. So you can't go from point A to point B in this country anymore without something on your body or something in your car or something around you connecting you into the internet. Even your refrigerator. Even your days. refrigerator. <laughs> what, and things you probably don't even know of sometimes that have tracking devices, toys you might buy for your children uh, or grandchildren. Uh, the, the eye, what, yes. what's that floor cleaner thing? The oh, iRobot. The iRobot, yeah, same thing. Absolutely. Same thing, it's absolutely. connected to the internet. So, I never knew that. So, hey, what? Yeah. What is developmental psychology, and why did you get a degree in it? Yeah, developmental—it's a good question. So, um, I went and got a counseling degree because when I was flying airplanes, I was faced with a choice as a military officer: go sit at a desk job at the Pentagon, or go teach cadets at the Air Force Academy. And the latter one seemed more intriguing <laughs> uh, to me than going and doing that. So, certainly more fulfilling. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it. I've been in the Pentagon, and yes, I'd rather go work at the Air Force Academy on a regular basis. And great. Don't get me wrong, great things happen inside that five-sided building, but no, it doesn't. don't really spend a lot of time there is a good idea. Um, but I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. I wanted to go back to my old department, which was a behavioral sciences department. They ran the Cadet Counseling Center at the time, so they sent me to Michigan State to get a counseling degree to come teach and run the leadership development part of their counseling center. Um, at the end of my first two years there, they offered me an opportunity to go back and get a PhD to come back and teach again. You went to the University of North Carolina. I went Carolina. to the University of North Carolina to get my doctorate degree. Uh, we had several other officers in a pipeline for counseling already at that time with counseling doctorate degrees. And so my department had asked me what 
I thought might be interesting. I love leadership. I love development. I love understanding how people become who they are. So that's what shifted me into developmental psychology. And that, in essence, is what developmental psychology is. It's how do you become the person you are? What are those influences, both internal and in the environment, to create who you are today? Because we're that collection of all that experiences, the people we've related to, the environments we've grown up in all create who we are today. Um, and so that became my interest. And it ties really, really well into this fourth industrial revolution idea. It's not just about how people People, but how do organizations development? How do nations develop? You know, that same kind of thinking. It creates me uh, a very futuristic mindset of how I think about the world and what I'm interested in. Because so, normally when we think of when we think of um, the uh, cyber and internet and all, right. we're thinking about, you know, ones and zeros. We're thinking about, you know, platforms and social media and what have you. But really, it's not just algorithms either. It really is how humans process exactly. and, and how the world works you know, one person to one person as well as nation to nation, right? Right. That's exactly right. It's it's a system of systems, if you want to mm. think it that way. And in the 21st century, in this fourth industrial revolution, what we're doing is we're inserting machines into that human system as more teammates than just tools that we use. And so we have things like artificial intelligence and virtual reality and other things that are much more interactive for us to work with that can actually learn in some ways, not how we learn, but they learn right. from that environment and they can become more sophisticated along the way and the machines of course you know lack emotion which is why they're so good and by lacking emotion that's why they're so bad because they don't have that there right so with that being said who are your students and why are they interested in this field? Yeah, that's a good question. Let me, if I can take us down this emotion Ta tangent for a second yeah. first, because that's a really good point that gets back to the first question of what's this fourth industrial revolution ab about. You know, people have these science fiction fears of machines, like, you know, when you think of, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey or whatever, the machine actually having Dave. its own emotions, yes. Um, th that's not where we are. But what we're really interested in thinking of, we put emotions on those machines, right? I mean, you, you call your car a name. I mean, from a simplest point, just a mechanical right. piece of thing. But you start working with your computer and a machine, it becomes an emotional attachment you create with that machine, whether you love it or hate it, right? I mean, it is something oh, yeah. that evokes these emotions, which kind of gets to that whole idea of this convergence of humans and machines working together. So the students that are mostly interested, the thing I love about the college we have for the University of Arizona, we are a transfer-only college. You know, a lot of students transfer into the University of Arizona with former college or out of community college systems or whatever, our school is set up to be only a transfer college and we offer a Bachelor of Applied Science degree which takes up to 75 credits of community college work from a state community college and with 45 credits I can finish you with the top cyber degree in the nation. So well. why is that? Why, why are we that way? Yeah. So it started that way pre-cyber as a branch campus down in Sierra Vista to reach out as part of that land-grant mission of the University of Arizona to reach the rural populations of our state. And a lot of the students in that population, they aren't, for whatever reason, family reasons, money reasons, whatever, able to come up to Tucson and take traditional education. So we offered a, a night school, basically, in Sierra Vista. It served the soldiers of Fort Huachuca, served the citizens of Cochise County. As the internet came along and as we moved into cyber, we just gravitated more and more of our stuff to online because that's where our students wanted to be. Um, our student average age is 31 years old. Uh, we are close to 50% first-generation college students. So this is a very non-traditional, it's not the typical high school kid graduating going to the University of Arizona. How um, many of your students are military, with you being right down there um, at Sierra Vista? Well, from what we can tell, because they, they don't always have to declare their military status with us, but from who was using benefits and so, it depends on program. And our cyber program and intel programs, it's close to 60 to 70% are either military or veteran or dependents of military families. And about 30% are active duty. Um, the Air Force has a community college that helps young airmen, enlisted airmen, be, get their degrees. We are the biggest transfer accepting uh, organization at the U of A for Community College of the Air Force airmen to come to our program. So we say that in, one more time. So. Airmen can go to a community college if they're an enlisted airman right. uh, through the Air Force as part of their benefit. We take more of those airmen into a bachelor degree granting program than any other school at the University of Arizona, wow. is what I'm saying. So, so we are very veteran friendly, very active duty military friendly. 
We love being in the in the uh, right outside the gate of Fort Huachuca and working with the Army because they've got a lot of really cool Fourth Industrial Revolution stuff going on down at Fort Huachuca. Um, so being in that midst is really important to us as a college. So you said the average age is 31. 31. What's the top age? 65. <laughs> Sweet. I'm the not 65 age, yet. Yeah, so. I have a 65-year-old cyber student right now. And, <laughs> so I, also, and is, I also have a 16-year-old cyber student. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, so. so is this something that I could do as well, and, and will that help me in my business? Absolutely will. So we offer a cyber certificate as well. So if you don't want the full degree, it can take you from not being able to, to spell cyber to actually having a good working knowledge of cybersecurity, both on the machine side, the technical side, but also on the human side of what cybersecurity is all about. So do I have to go back to community college or does my no. current no. degree work? It works. Well, you, you then, work with our advisors. We'll figure out how to get you And there. then how long does it take to go through this? So our program, at the if you don't need any other prereqs or anything, uh, we do have like a, a pre... If you don't know anything about program, we can give you some pre courses mm -hmm. that will help you learn the basics of computer programming and so on. Uh, once you get to that point, it takes 15 classes for us to get you to a Bachelor of Applied Science Which degree. Which works out to be how long? That's three semesters if you're doing it full-time. Okay, and what if you're doing so it? a year and a half to two years. What if you're doing it part-time? Well, if you spread it out, if you... We like do, people that actually yep. work. And which is the de demographic I mostly have. I have very few full-time students. Most okay. of my students are part-time students. They're working students. It's one of the reasons they don't want to go to night school. They get done working. They go home. They want to stay at home with their family. They don't want to come to a classroom with me. And I, I can't blame them for that, right? So we want to offer them something that can get them to the next level of their career in an affordable, accessible, and expeditious way. And so if you take one course at a time, for example, there's seven-week courses. Right. You can do six courses a year it takes you three years 15 courses to get there so you're talking two and, two and, and a half years. years to get there at okay. one course at a time okay and so your program is one of the top rated in the field yes what makes the jewish question what makes this program different <laughs> from all other programs yeah great question so two things one is um the national security agency um, has centers of academic excellence for cybersecurity, and there are multiple tiers of this. For example, there's a center of academic excellence for research, so those those like graduate programs are doing research. There's one in defense, and then there's one which is the one we have called cyber operations. It's the top tier of NSA. It's about a 650 to 60 page uh, a package we had to deliver to the NSA to get approved for this. Um, we are measured very strongly in the outcomes we produce. There are only 24 universities in the entire United States who have the cyber CO wow. designation, and we're one of those wow. 24. There are only uh, two what we've called top-tier research universities that are public universities. That's Texas A&M and us. And we're the only one in the nation that does it as a transfer-only program. So everybody else is taking four years to what I do in two. Okay, so now is so. this, aside from online, is this also in-person or no? Or is so it all it, it virtual? It is 100% online, but we offer it in what we, it's an enhanced hybrid format. And what we mean by that, I have campus in Sierra Vista. If students want to come sit in our classroom as a cohort, and if we have a professor there who might be recording a lesson from there, they can sit and be live with a professor. Very few students do that right now. Um, but it's live online, we call it. So we teach it live. So this is not a, hey, I taught it, I recorded, it's in the can, go sign up, take it anytime you want. This is a regularly scheduled course in your, in your schedule. So I taught a course in military leadership in the spring for the college. Um, I taught traditionally, you know, hour and a half, twice a week on Tuesday and Thursday nights from 6 to 7.30. Join me live if you can, but if can, it's recorded. You've got to watch it on the schedule. So you have till the weekend to watch it. You get tested, quizzed, mm. all that kind of stuff like everybody else. So, so it runs like a live. There's some greater there's, accountability. There absolutely is accountability to it. And for obvious reasons. And it's a model that works for us. It's very, very effective um, and allows us to really get that I, I had just as much connection with my students online as I did when I was teaching cadets at the Air Force Academy by using this model. Yeah. So Hey, we're running against the clock. So, Absolutely. Mr. Producer, let's go to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Inside Track on KVOI, trusted local news and talk. When we return, we're going to continue our chat with Dr. Gary Packard. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, 
metal plate and roofing materials as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and Saturdays 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. Are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget? Don't do that. Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. You think she's Bing Crosby. Welcome back to Inside Track. We continue our chat with Dr. (laughs) Gary Packard, Dean of the College of Applied Science and Technology from the University of Arizona. Uh, Gary, let me um, uh, break here. Give me a chance to change the topic slightly in a a different direction. We're hearing from you what's happening in our school here at the U of A. We know that our nation's competitors and adversaries around the world are using their resources in this area as well. What does cyber uh, training programs look like in other countries? And I, I guess maybe our listeners would like to know, like in China or in Russia or in other places. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's very simple. If you think back to the nuclear arms race, if you're a Cold War you know, person, that how we were trying to develop nuclear weapons and how our adversaries were developing nuclear weapons, there's a lot of similar things going on in both places. We're after the same goals, right? You want to dominate that space. Um, You want uh, that competitive advantage that you want in that space. And so if you put all of those experts together, you'll you'll find a lot of technical expertise that is very similar. What drives the difference is what are the values, what are the reasons, what are the purposes, and so forth behind that is how we differentiate ourselves, I think, from our our competitors. So we're very interested in how do we tie what we're doing into the security of this nation, right? That the cybersecurity aspects of our program, while we're not driven by the government, we are aware of what are the threats to this country, uh, not just to you know, your bank account when you're out there and you're afraid somebody, but what's the threat to our military? What's the threat along the border? What's the threat to our law enforcement? Um, and how do we help prepare those professionals to be the best in the planet so that we stay at the top of our game? So that's what we're really focused and on. We, we talked before the show started, it's not just, say, the Chinese threat that we have or some other mm-hmm. threat it's the threat of the cartels right right on the border yes both just on the other side of the border and probably within our country as well can you talk at all about that threat that comes sure. from the cartels sure and it's a, you know i try to tell people when we're talking about cyber threats how criminals versus law enforcement think hasn't really changed this is where the human piece if i'm a criminal and I want to break into your house, I want to defeat whatever security system you have. And if I'm trying to secure your house, I want to secure it in a way that the criminal can't do it. That tension exists in the cyber world. So we have actors out there in the cartel who are not just across the border, but as we were talking about before, right here in Tucson, um, who want nothing more than to get an advantage in that cyber area. So So, let me ask you on that. What does the the University of Arizona what do you guys do to protect this course from Great the, the Chinese yep. you know dissidents Great. logging in or the cartel guys coming to say let's learn how this stuff works <laughs> i mean the number of 
uh, Chinese spies at Los Alamos was huge. Over in China, they've got the Los Alamos Club. So how do you right. protect that? We are, So we teach, since we're offensive, we teach offensive cyber. Is That's what that cyber operations designation means. Which means I'm teaching you how to be what I call an ethical hacker. Uh, and we have checks and balances into that. We have to have our own virtual environment to do that because you don't want my students hacking your real accounts because they're pretty good at it when they graduate and they could probably get into most everybody's accounts at the end of the day. So we put them in our own environment. That environment is attacked daily by not just state actors like China or Russia, but by other rogue actors who want to get into our system and want to get into what we're doing. So we have currently, I, I might get the number totally, not totally right, but it's seven or eight layers of protection built into that environment to keep people out of it. Um, we are constantly fixing things because of the constant attacks we have in this environment. So it is out there and people are aware of it and they're trying to get at it. So we have to invest in our own security at a much higher level to make sure it stays secure and operable for our students. How do you keep the bad ones from not actually taking the classes? Um, I mean, I, any more than I can prevent a bad actor from joining the United States military, I can't, right? I, I really can't. I mean, we, do you vet your students? We, we vet them in the sense of how the university allows us to vet them. I don't have a special background check. You don't have to have a top secret clearance and so on and so forth. What we're teaching in terms of that technical part of our classes is no different than you can take in any other class. So, you know, okay. the, you know so we just, the way we package it together is unique and how we put it in that environment is very unique. And so those are the things that kind of distinguish ourselves. But you, I mean, these are pretty smart actors out there. And there are a lot of young folks out there that self-teach themselves a lot of this stuff just based on or what's, it's open source intelligence, right? It's Sure. You can pull a lot but of it's this. what you do with Almost it, like writing a book about submarines. Right. But like you said, what I have the advantage of, if you self-teach, if you are self-taught in this area, it's very hard for me to figure that out until probably after you've done something really bad. If I teach you, I'm tracking your data every step along the way, and I know who you are and how you're acting. So I can monitor you so let's as talk you about grow up. Digital yes. fingerprint, if yes. you will, that a student might have or anybody has mm -hmm. uh, and 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 how you how you work with that to identify and, sure. and classify. Think of it like digital handwriting analysis, right? If I want to verify that, hey, did Babe Ruth really sign mm -hmm. this baseball, I'm gonna take it to an expert who's trained to figure out, you know, is this B swirled in the right way or whatever. We do the similar kind of thinking with tracking the data by looking at how you interact with your keyboard the pauses you have in your keystrokes, how you move your mouse around, different clues like that. I can create a fingerprint and watch how you act in the real world, compare it to what I've collected in data over here, and have a pretty good sense of, hey, this is who I think it is. That's so, very cool. Yeah. So. Hey, we're talking with Dr. Gary Packard from the University of Arizona about the amazing program that he heads. Gary, please talk to us about the goals of the college to bridge the digital divide and what that means. Oh, by the way, Seven nine zero two zero four zero. Yeah, it's one of our important um, parts of our college. When I was when I was served in the military, one of the things that I love about the way our government uh, uses our military forces, it really does allow young men and women to get a leg up and jump on. On, on on their on their life you know if you're if you're floundering a little bit you don't know where you're going military can kind of straighten you out and get you get you going right um we need to do similar kind of thinking when it comes to technology there are uneven accesses to technology across this country mostly along socioeconomic lines right that some people have better access to broadband than, than other people. Mm -hmm. Some people have better access to computer education in their high school, perhaps, than other high schools do in other districts. So the bridging the digital divide is taking this idea of creating professional cyber uh, operators and pulling it back into the K-12 world to say, where early in your education can we work with you to help you become cyber savvy so you can come take our programs? eventually. What I don't want is people sitting in these rural communities who aren't capable of protecting their own homes and businesses in those rural communities. And so the quicker I can get this into your background, the quicker I can help you to get savvy about what technology is, the more I help you be successful as an adult when you finish school. So talk to us about the economic resources being waged against the West and the uh, defensive resources a program like yours at the U of A provides to protect our vital resources that's and a, industries. That's a great question. And just like I say, 
Technology is not going to save us alone in the cybersecurity world. Money and resources aren't going to save us alone in the resources. What we've got to do um, is create uh, the the next tranche of professionals who are going to go out and do all this work for us. And that's why we're trying to do it the way we do it. I don't want you saddled with a lot of student debt. I don't want you saddled with a long time in my college. I want to get you in, give you a skill set that will make you a better professional, help you upscale your work and earning capability, and then get you back out there to help do great things. And we have graduates from our students, our population who didn't know hardly anything about cyber, who are now running cyber companies here in Tucson wow. okay. uh, and helping us with real world issues in the cyber, whether it's business security at your bank, hospital security, military security. Uh, we have a program uh, with the National Security Agency where we have a lot of scholarships we give to our students. In fact, we're the bigger use, biggest user of this program where they get a full ride scholarship to come take our classes. Then they go work for an NSA agent or the DOD for a couple of years to pay back their training. So we're taking right. our graduates and we're putting right them in, into the front of what does it mean to protect this country as a federal employee of this country. So part of that full ride scholarship is you go and pay that back. That's exactly going, right. Kind of like my ROTC scholarship. ROTC skip or, or, or my yours. academy degree. Yep, that's exactly right. So for the person who's not doing that, what's it cost? So we our online program at the University of Arizona costs $500 a credit. So if you do that math out to 45 credits, you you end up with about $9,000 to finish our program. That's not bad. Which is a pretty good deal for what that's you're going to get. That's what Bruce spent this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm, I want to read something that uh, came from from the college. Um, it goes as follows: In the military complex, we have moved beyond traditional air, sea, land, political spheres of conflict to a world that adds space, cyber, social media, short news cycles, and extensive information and uh, misinformation. That means that the most effective weapon may not be the bullet, but a carefully worded tweet. How commanders manage this highly volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous VUCA environment is critical to the success on the battlefield. Talk a little about that. You'll have to dumb it down for a guy like me. <laughs> okay, you, you guys were, were in the service. I wasn't. But what does that mean exactly? So back if we if you want to go back let's go back to world war ii time frame right when we think of how battle spaces acted you had air you had land you had sea certainly there's a lot of politics there's a lot of intelligence counterintelligence going on in that world um but for the most part the rest of the world didn't see what happened day to day on that battlefield uh in today's world not only do people see the battles unfold on live TV in our 24-hour, very short news cycle world, um, one tweet by one soldier can shift the changing of a battle space today. So the idea here is that we have created what is a shift from a linear kind of predictable that I can predict, you know, on a, on a traditional battlefield, if you move this way and I move this way, I can kind of predict what's going to happen in the clash of those two armies. That's very unpredictable now. It's very nonlinear. And it can ebb and flow on a single tweet, a single news story. Uh, those kinds of things can really affect. We've also created the capability to have non-state actors, small groups of people, have dramatic effect on how news is presented, how information is presented to commanders. We have a lot more sophisticated capability of information and misinformation. Nothing new in a battle space. I mean, we, we, we were able to invade Europe, you know, on D-Day because right. of the misinformation <laughs> that we gave to the enemy, you know, Calais the Germans. Versus yep. yep. That's nothing new. It's much more sophisticated now, and it's really hard to parse out. I mean, the, I mean, fake news, real news. I mean, we can take it to whatever well, level let's you want to get about at that here. With so, what we're yeah. recently seeing with uh, Twitter yes. or Facebook mm -hmm. and what's going on there. Yeah. So convergence, probably the key part of this convergence idea is to merge this idea of technology and how we do information or influence operations. So I use it. So Twitter is an influence platform. It's right. just not out there to share a you know happy thought or a birthday picture or whatever. It is used proactively by good and bad actors to influence behavior of other people. That is the kind of platform we're working with today. So when you look at Twitter, it's a really hard question. How much control over that medium do you want to have? Right? We don't want to just let it be unfettered, but then again, we don't want to over control it. And who gets to control it if we're going to control it? And what 
do we use um, to define what those control boundaries are going to be? So one of our programs in our cyber program, we have our cyber ed- engineering program. That's that cyber Jedi, we call it program. Right. That's the highly technical. They're going to get into your computer and the ones and zeros of your machine to look for anomalies. The other end of our program, not easier but different, is cyber policy and law where we take our students in the first half of their program is the technical side of cyber. How do you program? How do you actually work in a computer to actually protect it? Now take that information and let's give you some law courses, some poli-sci courses, some ethics courses to say, how do we write good law around cybersecurity? How do we deal with the proliferation of cyber in space? Um, how do we deal with international law when Stop it comes to sure. cyber? Cy- okay. right? Cyber Absolutely. space. What- talk about that Cyber, so cyber and so there's cyberspace and then there's the space force our right. very newly space force right space by definition is cyber because you can't communicate with that space asset without going through the electromagnetic spectrum and getting into the cyber world they are more connected than just about anything we do we're not very sophisticated yet of how we protect those space assets. Uh, they're vulnerable to attack. How do you update the software on your satellites? How do you update, you know, what kind of checks and balances? Who gets to get in there and see what's going on? How do you protect that? Not just from a kinetic, hey, let's go blow it up kind of a thing. But you, but, if, but, but if somebody was in, infected with some sort of malware or something, a satellite could change direction or, or disintegrate right. or go in a different orbit or degrade or whatever, right? Well, well it's not there. What about your airplane you're going to get in and fly to the next time you go on vacation right right and that's connected into the internet how are we protecting it right those are this is all part of that very needed infrastructure but the space part of it is critical not just because of the rise of commercial space but space is inherently important to our national defense um gps satellites communication satellites let's talk about that so you've got you know it is commercial now you've got elon musk With his satellite trains, which I had a chance to watch one night, which right. is very fascinating. You know, to uh, let's talk about the Chinese and the drones, and how do you protect a space from that using cyber? Do you, you know, you can put up a geofence, but how does that? How are you going to get that to work? And does your program work with something like that? And we are trying to. Or can you not talk about that? I, it's not that I can't talk about it, but if you go out and read what the leaders of the Space Force are talking about and and some of the think tanks that are dealing in this area, we don't have a really good answer to that question right now, right? That that how do we really protect those space assets as you're you're talking about? Right. What, what, what do we do with those? And now we start to throw commercial space assets in with the military mm. space assets. What does that do? It's a system. So how does that affect that entire system? Uh, in fact, I have a son who's a, so we were talking before, Ebb's a Purdue graduate. My son's a Purdue graduate. He works for Boeing Space Systems. He's on the government space contracting side. Nice. He he now has higher top security clearance than a de- his dad did, has. <laughs> uh, so I really. And you had to have a high one. I, I really, I did at one time, but it's not current anymore. So I don't know exactly what he's doing, but that's the <clears throat> essence of what he's working on is this protection of that space asset. And that's really important stuff for us to be thinking about. So. You've got this program teaches offensive cyber protection, mm-hmm. and does it teach defensive? Yes. And then what's the difference between the two? Yeah, so we think of it. My, my cyber center director likes to to, to to call it the Tom Brady rule, right? You you can have uh, if you want to you can, you can create the best defense in the world, but if you don't understand how the offense operates, your defense is going to get in the field with a guy. If whether you like Tom Brady or not, he's a very successful quarterback. And he's going to pick you apart because you don't think like he does. We want people to think like that quarterback before they become the defender. That's the essence of what we're trying to do with our offensive system. So, yes, we do teach defense. It's offense to get them to defense. Uh, And so we want them to think like the hacker in order to defend what that hacker's thinking about and how they operate. So kind of like George Patton, you bloody bastard, I read your book. That's exactly right. That's another very good way to think about it. Yeah, but okay. we want them to read the book before okay. they defend it on the other side. Let's let's go back to law for just a second because it, 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 it certainly mm-hmm. plays a, a role in this, not just on the ethical side, but in, in terms of you know how how one protects themselves you know, from another party uh, you know, in, in cyberspace. Um, how far behind or how current is law federally and in the various states on this particular uh, topic of, of cybersecurity 
and and working within a cyber environment, a digital um, environment. <laughs> we're lagging in a lot of ways. There's vulnerabilities out there. I mean, cyber is moving at a pace that typical policy and law functions can't keep up with. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So if you think of the bureaucratic way, which is a good thing, that stability in our country, the checks and balances that are built into our systems are great, but it makes it really hard for a large legal entity to keep paces with the changes in the environment today. And so what we need to create, the, the military's talking about this in terms of rapid acquisitions, as in, for an example, right? That the acquisition cycle to bring on a new weapon system can take decades sometimes. It's a long, painful process. By the time we acquire the new equipment, it's out of date yeah. at the way the, the, the changeover happens today. And so what we need is a more rapid way to develop this, but not get out of bounds of the checks and balances because the fear I would have rogue actors could get into a very rapid system and actually derail us in a direction we're not wanting to go if we're not careful, if that makes sense. So we've got we to think this through. Um, and it's one of the reasons we have that, that track in our program right. specifically because just like I would like to have somebody with a military background probably being part of the civilian leadership of the United States military, I would like somebody with a cyber background to be involved sure. in the cyber law and legislation arm of what we're doing. And, and we, we need may more be, people like And we that. may be years away from that That's right. industry, if you will, developing. So, um, so you have to have an attorney that's gone through law school that's also gone through that that understands right. that in order to write law. Otherwise, it's kind of like Congress. Right. So what we've created in our college out of our cyber policy and law course, we work with the, the law college uh, on main campus and we have what's called an accelerated master's degree. So it's an opportunity for our students to take graduate level classes while they're in their senior year of our program, their last year of our program. So they can complete a degree, a master's degree in cyber law with the law school in a year after they graduate. Wow. So then we can place them in a law firm. They won't be an attorney, but they'll be that subject matter expert in sure. a law firm to give that cyber expertise to that program. Talk about are in sort of in in the western world um the allies that we have who we most closely work with i mean one country that comes to mind besides great britain would be israel and israel has a lot of technolo technological sort yes. of thinking and advances and so on some of the the russian emigres and their children and grandchildren now because it's been that long since they started coming from russia have tremendous minds in these areas what are we doing as a country uh to your knowledge to to collaborate with our allies and our in our uh, business and economic uh, and and defense partners yeah so i i again i'll say almost all of these areas we're talking about I think we're lagging in a lot of these areas. Um, we're in very politically confusing times. I'll just put it that way. Yep. And not just domestically, but internationally yep. Yep. in this world. Um, who's an ally to who and for what reason and how that plays out, I think is going through some transitions in a lot of spaces. What we need to do, though, is continually to pursue those activities. And so what we've done in our college, uh, we do have a couple of international prof professors in our college so that we can bring that other perspective into what we do and create those connections. We're very interested in international kinds of collaborations, but given the nature of our program, we're very cautious about those international collaborations as well. Um, so um, trust so, but so, verify. Yes. So that's a being, good way to put it. Us being a land grant college and a research right. university, Inside or outside of your program that you're involved in, what sort of research generally is going on at the University of Arizona in various departments, various colleges? We only have about four minutes right. left from the show. <laughs> but what sort of things is the U of A doing outside of your school? So I'll give you a couple of examples we've been involved with, and I'll also help you think uh, what's going on main campus. So the two biggest areas that I think I would lean to right now is there's a there's a lot of great advancements in medical research right now. The College of Medicine in Tucson, as well as up in Phoenix campus, very committed to uh, thinking about medical advances to include technological medical advances, and that's part of our plan. You know, if you put a pacemaker in your heart and it's connected through some Bluetooth connection so I can monitor your heart, I might 
can I make sure I secure that for you or keep your prescription record safe mm -hmm. for you? By the way, so, there was a uh, former uh, prime minister or premier uh, in the Soviet Union that had a Medtronic pacemaker put in. Yeah. And, you know, it had telemetry on it. So yeah. I'm just saying. Just saying, yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't secure. <laughs> yeah. But if I have one, I want it to be secure, right? Right. So, yeah. So, um, but, uh, so medicine's a, a one place. Um, there is a great uh, starting conversation on quantum and quantum technologies moving forward at the university. Way right above now. my head. Yes. Way, um, way. Uh, the optical science work and the space work that the university does is world class and, and leads in a lot of ways. Uh, where I think the university is growing, I, we are working hard because it's of interest to our college and to more Department of Defense and federal research outside of just like the National Institutes of Health and National Science Foundation, but into to more the, the NSA, DOD. We just had uh, the Director of National Intelligence, Director Avril Haynes, keynote an event for us a month ago um, so so we're trying to get that world plugged into us as well is it a coincidence the schools located in Sierra Vista so close to Fort Huachuca it it's not a coincidence it's located there it's a coincidence it's, it's it it is purposeful oh, let me rephrase that it's a coincidence probably that it started there it's purposeful that I'm keeping it there if okay. that makes sense sure. I mean, that connection to not only what's happening in the border and working with our agencies that want to do border security, maybe more smartly, more 21st century kind of thinking in terms of how we secure this nation, but the partnership with Fort Huachuca and what they're doing in electronic warfare and multi-domain operations and, and, and remote operations is is really, really impressive, and we want to be a part of that. So we're working to build. We'll have So we're starting a brand new master's degree that follows on with our program in the fall. Uh, next year and the next fall we'll have our first PhD in cyber operations at the really? U of A so a year from now we'll be doing research in that area at the doctorate level um, and I hope a good portion of that will be classified research that means we'll have to bring in people with the proper clearances or get them the clearances so we can work in that space with the federal government do you have border patrol agents working with you we, we have worked with okay. the border patrol yeah so what's the what's the key question we haven't asked? We've covered a lot of stuff, but what are you, you're saying? What, and we've got a minute two, and thirty these seconds. These two knuckleheads didn't ask me the, this question. It's the most right. important one that they didn't do. You know, you did a pretty good job actually hitting on a lot of the on a lot of the key issues. I think the key question that I would say we haven't talked about enough is how do we prepare this nation for the cybersecurity threats 10, 20, 30 years from now? Where do we really need to be thinking today? Where does it, this can't be a retroactive, reactive kind of a way of thinking of the world. This has to be incredibly proactive trying to forecast where are we going and how do we create people who have the skills and the knowledge and the experience to be able to protect us in that environment. So when I look at how I'm preparing my students, it's much more teaching them about how to think about a problem in a future-focused way than it is to solve the problem you have to solve today. We've got 40 seconds, Bruce. Gary Packard from the, the University of Arizona College of Applied Science and Technology. That's going to do it for us today. I want to thank you for coming and visiting with it's us. It's fascinating. My this pleasure. Is, this is, it's a premier program. It's really something we can be proud of and so important in today's world and the future. Hey, join us next week. We already have a great show planned for you. And be sure to check out my Facebook and Twitter accounts for the latest news that you should know about and my views on the news topics you also care about. Eb? Hey, uh, all of us here, at all of the episodes are on, available on Apple Podcast and the KVOI website. Until next week for Inside Track, this is Eb Wilkinson. And Bruce Ash. Wishing you all a very pleasant good afternoon. See you again in 167 hours. Stay dry. Bear down. Go Cavs. <laughs>